Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of the Collective Podcast. I'm your host, Ash Thorpe. This is going to be episode 221 with creator of Lessons of Screenplay and director Michael Tucker. Uh, we've been trying to do this episode for a bit of time now. Michael's been quite busy and we finally managed to make this episode happen, so super thankful. Um, I've been watching and studying um, Michael's film essays on YouTube for quite some time now and I really enjoy his perspective. Uh, an analysis on films that I really enjoy and also getting new perspective on films that I might have missed and overlooked. So we talk a bit about that and we talk a bit about how he came to do what he's doing now and following his passions and seeing kind of how things worked. Um, it's really cool. It's, 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 it's a really interesting journey because you never know where you're going to end up. And if you just put your passions towards something, uh, Michael's example is a perfect example as to where your passions go if you start to take them seriously and um, obviously he's very successful with it so it's great to see and I really enjoy it so it's really great having him on we talk a bit about films that we love obviously the impact of films how and why we think films work and why they don't work um, which is a huge topic and um, we just scratched the surface basically and Michael kindly offered and passed along some really great information and uh, advice at the end of the podcast so Hope you all enjoy it. This is going to be episode 221. Let's begin. I think I've watched almost all your videos. Uh, I think so. Um, (laughs) I fall into this nebulous, you know, um, essays and stuff. And so with you talking mm-hmm. back to me, it's like, whoa, this is weird. Uh, yeah, YouTube is is taking talking back to me. This is great. So, yeah, awesome. Yeah, well, thank you for having me on. I, I'm excited, and I always like having conversations about creativity and all kinds of things. So, I'm excited. Yeah, I figured as much. It's interesting seeing you. I kind of was trying to find little tidbits of um, where all this came from because obviously you have a knack for um, these essays and kind of digging deeper and understanding how and why these things work, um, the art form of film and all that kind of stuff. And so I think uh, you've made a couple things, right? A couple films, am I correct? Like you did like a noir kind of thing. And are you a film student or how did this all come to be is basically (laughs) what I'm trying to get at. (laughs) Sure. Um, Yeah. So I have always wanted to be a filmmaker basically since you know, I was a kid and saw Star Wars for the first time. I knew I wanted to make movies. Um, and most of my focus was always on directing. Um, earlier on, actually, I was really into visual effects and wanted to blow up spaceships like they do in Star Wars. Mm-hmm. Um, but then eventually realized that directing is where so much of the storytelling comes in. And that's the part that I really enjoy. Um, and so... Yeah, I've, you know, in various forms from, you know, goofing off with my friends in high school to, you know, short films and a couple commercials and a web series. I've I've made a bunch of films um, and that's definitely helped, you know, getting that experience helps you then be able to read a film and kind of break it down and and analyze it from that perspective. Um, So, yeah, so I always wanted to direct. I went to film school. I went to UC Santa Cruz, um, which has a really great film theory program, which was really, uh, useful for me because I, you know, the production side of film, I never needed, 
pushing to do. I always loved just grabbing a camera and going shooting, going to shoot things and editing things. I was just always making stuff. Um, but the, the film theory program at UC Santa Cruz was good at just making you sit down and we're going to watch old films or films that might be like less fun, quote unquote, to watch. And you're going to learn more about the actual language of film and how to read the film as a text and pull it apart and all these things. Um, and so that program helped me help deepen my appreciation for film as an art medium. Um, and then at the same time they had cameras and they were like, take them and do whatever. And I was like, yes, sir, here I go. Mm -hmm. Um, so it was a nice blend of, you know, theory and production. Mm. Um, so yeah, so that's, so I went to film school for that. And then, um, probably the next biggest, uh, you know, note on the journey toward lessons from the screenplay was, um, I moved to Los Angeles with a couple of my friends from film school and we wanted to make stuff because we'd run into a lot of people that moved to LA and wanted to make films, but then kind of never ended up doing anything. Yeah. And so we, uh, it's not, we easy. Drew, it's, it's not, it's, it's, there's a lot of things that can get in the way. Um, but so we started this website called finite films. It was a website and a YouTube channel, uh, where our goal was to just make, short films constantly. And so for one year we released a short film every month and each film was based on constraints. Um, because so one of my friends, who I'm still friends with Alex Cairos and I, when we were trying to write, we would find that we'd run into, you know, writer's block or not know exactly what, you know, what story do we want to write and where should it go? And so we tried this thing where we sent each other constraints. So like, one character must say, I love you, or one scene must take place in the rain or whatever it is. Mm. Um, and those constraints kind of helped inspire, uh, creativity. And so with the finite films, this channel, we, we did these short films such that the audience could submit constraints. And so we were taking constraints from the audience and then we would have to use those to write the films and make the films. And so it was this kind of cool audience participation experiment. And it was forcing us to make these short films constantly for a year. Um, and that was really, really fun and really, really challenging. And each of these short films, they're usually like 15 to 20 minute films. Wow. So they, <laughs> they were long. They were pretty long. They were very ambitious. Uh, and looking back, I can't believe how much energy <laughs> we had. Sure. Um, but it was a really good, um, just kind of like boot camp almost of just constantly make film. And we would help out on each other's films. So one of us would always be directing something, but we'd be shooting for the other person or, you know, being producer and scheduling things or just buying crafts and all that stuff. So it, it let us get a lot of experience doing lots of different things at a very low budget scale. Mm. Um, and so to kind of fast forward a little bit after we realized that short films don't make any money and you need, <laughs> <laughs> you need money to pay rent and all that stuff. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah, I know money ruins everything. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, eventually I ended up doing a lot of documentary work and a lot of editing gigs and 
that was fine, but it wasn't making movies. It wasn't being creative in the way that I liked to be. And so uh, it was the beginning of 2016 uh, that this one documentary project I was working on, it was going to be this big thing that was going to pay the bills for a year. And then suddenly overnight it fell apart and it was over. Um, But I kind of found myself with this weird opportunity where uh, I suddenly had free time and I'd been working enough that I'd saved up enough that I was like, okay, I'm going to try to use this time to get back to doing something creative. And one of the lessons I'd kind of learned uh, in that process of making short films and the web series that we made afterward and the brief experience I had with, you know, the film industry. Um, one of the lessons I took away was that my writing was not nearly as good as my directing or shooting, like all these other parts of filmmaking I'd kind of focused on more mm. and kind of overlooked the fun, the fundamental part of why anyone cares about anything. Yeah. Stories. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I decided, okay, I'm going to read as many scripts as I can and take notes and just really focus on the writing aspect. And as soon as I started doing that, I realized that I it might be good to share what I was learning with people. And so I started writing blog posts for each short, uh, for each screenplay that I read. And that kind of helped me focus in on what are the techniques I'm extracting and helped me remember them because I had to then be able to explain them to people. And almost immediately after starting the blog, I realized that I think these blogs could be videos. And uh, that was kind of right around the time that video essays were really starting to blow up. You know, every frame of painting obviously had been around for a long time and Captain Christian had just started Nerdwriter and all these things. Mm. And um, I kind of realized that I had accumulated this weird skill set that might enable me to make videos like that. And so I spent a couple months trying to figure out what the first video would be and doing multiple versions of it. Um, But that ended up being my Gone Girl video. And I released it and it kind of blew up overnight, which I was not expecting. And it did well enough that I committed to it and was able to make that my full-time job from there on out. So mm. it was a crazy journey, but that's, that's kind of the, the overall path Fair of phase, how, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's awesome. It's cool to hear that, that your journey went from the, that. I, I was thinking that because when I hear you breaking things down, I, I feel like there's a sense of knowledge behind it um, rather than like almost sometimes with these videos, it seems like I'm listening to a conspiracy theorist or something <laughs> like a person that yeah. just doesn't know what they're talking about, but they're uh, uh, eloquent enough with their words that they still can sell you the idea. Mm-hmm. But yeah, like there, there's a knowledge that comes with, um, with the, with action basically with the act of actually doing, um, that's, you know, like you can just feel it when somebody's speaking about something rather than it just being all hypothetical. Cause I can be really annoying usually. So, (laughs) but it's interesting that you kind of, I think in a world where I think a lot of people are so enamored in the thing that they can see or the tool that they can use, um, where as like focusing on the screenplay, which is an interesting angle because as you mentioned, like it's the important part, you know, it's Mm -hmm. like, it's this, I mean, all the, 
that we have a saying, uh, my friend Olaf and I have a saying with film is like, everything is the most important thing, you know? Mm, yeah. <laughs> you know it's like, yeah. Cause you can be like, Oh, this is great. And then like, if the audio is horrible and it's like, well, it's kind of hard to watch. Right. Or if the, vi- <laughs> if the visuals are really bad then it's like, Oh, well, okay. It's a great idea, but it's implemented pro- imp- improperly or the casting's bad or something, you know? So, mm-hmm. um, everything is super important, but it, it all comes from a good story. Um, and every time that I study a film, I uh, I find that it all comes back down to a really good screenplay, um, mm-hmm. or one that's been able to adjust through the production. So, yeah, that's really interesting, and it makes sense too. So you said that you weren't really kind of you weren't expecting the Gone Girl video to do as it did, but I'm sure that you had some intuition that it was gonna that it was gonna reach the right amount of people, right? Yeah, I mean, I. It was one of those things where it was both surprising and also exactly what I wanted to happen and kind of needed to happen. Um, but you can never count on anything. Um, one of the lessons I'd kind of taken away from, you know, that year of making short films and the projects that I'd done afterward and um, kind of just in general at that point in my life, I think I was about to turn 30 and I was kind of just taking stock and self-reflecting on what are What are things I do well? What are things that I need to improve upon? And one of the things I identified that I needed to improve upon is being a little bit less impulsive. Um, I think it's as a creative person, it can be, uh, you know, there's so much fun and excitement when you come up with an idea that you just want to go out and make it and call the people and we're going to shoot it. And it doesn't matter what we're going to do with it later. Let's just go do it. Um, and, you know, that's what we had done for a year. That's what I'd done on all these projects. And the problem was always I'd, I'd have this great experience, but end up with something and not really know what to do with it or kind of with hindsight being twenty twenty, realize that, oh, well, if I'd actually spent a little bit more time either on the script or the planning or figuring out, you know, where this thing was going to live, that it would actually serve to get me to the next step better than, you know, this impulsive just creative momentum, um, kind of approach. Mm. And so when designing lessons from the screenplay, I wanted to really like pump the brakes at every step and figure out like, yes, I'm excited about this, but what makes the most sense? What is like, who is the audience for this? Where could it go? Um, and really take the time to kind of study YouTube also, you know, YouTube offers, I think they still do. Um, this like creator academy where it's just kind of a list of best practices when creating a YouTube channel. Mm. And so I forced myself to sit and go through all of that and oh, take wow. their little, <laughs> their little tests and all the things. Mm. Um, cause I just wanted to, you know, make sure I did it right. And whether or not that would pay off, you know, give little control over, but I wanted to get experience doing the hard, less fun part, uh, with all of it. And so, and kind of, so the, the video kind of blew up because of Reddit, like it, it went really high on the movies subreddit and maybe touched the front page briefly. Um, but the year before I had made this, uh, like visual effects breakdown for, uh, 2001, a space odyssey. Mm. Like there's, there's this shot that I was always obsessed with where, the two characters are walking down this hallway in the spaceship and there's a ladder at the end of the hallway that's spinning around and round. And then they step off of the hallway onto the little ladder section and they start spinning around. I was like, how did they do that? (laughs) Uh, 
the chariot thing or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. And so I did a visual effects breakdown where I stabilized it to kind of demonstrate how it must have been done and all that stuff. And that became that I posted it to Reddit and it, you know, did very well on the movie subreddit. Mm. So that kind of let me know that with the right content, there was an audience out there that was excited to learn about filmmaking in this way. So mm-hmm. it was one of those like kind of calculated things, but calculated with a combination of like fingers crossed mm. <laughs> kind of a thing. I guess it's always like that though, right? Yeah. Every time you do something, uh, uh, there's somewhat of a risk to it, which is what makes it fun. Mm-hmm. And it sometimes <laughs> can be hard to even understand like, why, why did that work? And that didn't, you know, but sometimes it's probably pretty easy to kind of get the grasp of it. Like, okay, like, this worked because of that. And that makes sense because of this. Um, and you can see, you can see it. Like if you watch enough YouTube, like I watch a decent amount of videos on YouTube and you can kind of see, um, the consistent thing, like smash that like button and <laughs> like, and subscribe and all that kind of stuff. So, um, mm-hmm. I, fi- I find that with yours, it's much less used car salesman, which is nice. I, I'm hoping that's a good, uh, <laughs> uh, a proper uh, compliment, but um, yeah, thank you. Yeah, <laughs> it's good <course>. to hear. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's it drives me nuts sometimes because I'm like, oh man, like I feel so dirty watching these videos sometimes. But, <laughs> but um, no, like it's uh, yeah, it's there's a lot of um, I can imagine that that's cool. That's good of you to have watched those like videos and tutorials. It just means that you're taking it serious, so which is good because that's the hardest part, and that's where like. It's a, I, th- I think it was Arnold Schwarzenegger. You would say always like go to the place that nobody else goes because that's where all the good is. You know, it's like mm-hmm. you have to go like deeper into that place. Like not many people would spend their Friday nights sitting watching YouTube tutorials on how to be a better YouTuber. <laughs> I imagine you know, but right, it's necessary if you want to be accelerated. You know, so um, yeah, that's interesting though. It's something that. Um, yeah, I find that with guests that I have on here that are quite prolific, they, they're willing to put in the hard work and to get that done, you know? So, mm-hmm. um, yeah. And being less impulsive, that's interesting because um, do you find that you're more rigid and structured in your life now than you were prior? Uh, yeah, definitely have become more structured. I think it's it's kind of been this interesting um, evolution that's happened over the past three years, three and a half years since starting the channel where, you know, identifying at the time that I was too impulsive and would skip over the hard parts. I, the pendulum kind of swung hard in that direction so that I wouldn't let myself do anything fun, uh, Mm. because I associated fun with shortcuts and I wanted to make sure I did the hard work and, and really, um, you know, tried to design each thing I did in the smartest way possible. Uh, but what I found was that I kind of went too far in that direction. And if you're holding yourself to this impossible standard of, you know, it has to be perfect the first time and you can't have any fun, like fun means bad. It makes it very hard to get excited about anything or be creative. Like you have to have some fun to be creative. Yeah. Um, and so that's kind of been you know, my creative struggle since starting the channel is going really hard one direction, finding lots of valuable things there that have made me a better creator, but then having to kind of brave my way back to find the balance where I can have fun with something, um, but also keep the discipline to 
make it what it needs to be. And it's, it's a tricky balance to find. Yeah, it's incredibly tricky. Um, but I think that's a sign of a pro, um, at least for me. Um, I'm sure it sounds like you're pretty well read as well. Do you read a lot? Um, honestly, not as much as I should. <laughs> do you listen to books, Audible style? I've been doing a lot more Audible, yeah, mm-hmm. the last few years. Same. Um, yeah. yeah it is. I guess that's reading. I guess it's not, though. I don't know. It's listening, I guess. Yeah. it's. I feel like I've heard studies were done, like you receive the information the same way as if you were reading it. Mm-hmm. Um, Seems like but, it's different to me, but yeah. I, I fall yeah. asleep a little easier. <laughs> but that's yeah. just because I'm not allowing myself to be as intrigued, I guess. Or I'm, I'm reading mm-hmm. at the point of my exhausted day or something, but... Because there's a couple books that I'm I'm not sure I'm, I imagine you probably have either heard or read or might have been familiar with, but there's a book called Mastery. There's two of them, mm-hmm. but there's mm-hmm. Robert Greene made one. Okay. Have, you, have you read that one? No, I haven't. Mm, I think you would enjoy that. Honestly, I think it sounds like something you'd really get a kick out of because a lot of the things in the uh, the topics and the the just kind of the subjects that you kind of seem to be focused on in your channel um, have to do with a lot of the themes and subjects in that. He basically uh, analyzes all these different masters and quote in quotes of our times like Da Vinci and Einstein and all this stuff. And he breaks it all down and kind of has this interesting formula of theories that kind of equate to the 10,000 hour rule and all these different kind of types mm-hmm. of things that these, all these different types of people and characteristics that they had and that then you can use that kind of recipe or idea and start to interject it into your life, you know, and see how it plays. Um, but yeah, it's not a, it's not a, like a, you know, add water in your master. It's, it's, <laughs> it's like, as you found quickly with this stuff too, is like that it takes um, significant time, effort. And when you think you're on the right course, like you said, you're ultra disciplined and then you're like, oh crap, like my life is suffering because I'm not able to be spontaneous and have fun. So Mm-hmm. Yeah, that sounds interesting. I should definitely check it out. I'm I'm a big Malcolm Gladwell fan, mm. so it, it sounds like it's kind of maybe in that same vein, which I like a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Another one uh, I was thinking that you might like is called Creativity Incorporated, and it's by one of the founders of Pixar. Oh, yeah. That's yeah. one of those that I've been meaning to read, but I've never read. <laughs> yeah, probably something that you might like. Um, that's It's cool. Do you find yourself like, so this is one thing that I really admire about when you're doing your your channel and you're building the content that you do is I admire the, the ability for you to kind of just dig in and you present it in a way it's very professional. It's very like well put together feeling and it's very accessible, which is really nice. Like I'm, I know that doesn't, it's not easy. So I appreciate <laughs> that. Um, Cause I know it takes a lot of effort and time. Um, but the thing mm-hmm. I really do appreciate is you're able to kind of interject your lens on something that exists already without like, I don't know how to put this to words. Like it's not like Siskel and Ebert or something where you're criticizing or knocking it down necessarily. It's kind of like you're just observing, you know, and it's, it's an mm-hmm. interesting way. I think it's an interesting approach because I think it'll last longer, you know? So awesome. Yeah. Well, yeah. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, that's, that was one of the things, you know, that was an intentional goal that I wanted. Cause that's the kind of content that I like. Um, you know, kind of going into it, I had kind of become exhausted by like interpretations of movie, like videos that, you know, this is what this means. Or when the camera shot is framed this way, there's the symbolic meaning and stuff like that's all like 
cool and a fun part of what filmmaking could be. But as, as part of my very rigid, I want to focus on the hard part thing. Um, I really wanted to, to focus on the fundamental things and kind of take as scientific approach as possible. Um, like a lot of the videos I was watching at the time and continue to watch now are kind of educational content and content that focuses on, you know, science or, you know, sociology, um, but things that have a more objective take to them. And I wanted to try to apply that to writing and filmmaking as much as possible. Um, I also have a fear of being wrong. (laughs) So I think that kind of motivated me to try to find like objective, um, like arguments that I could make about why a thing that was working that would convince me. Like I, I always try to poke holes in any argument that I make. And, and if I end up learning that this, the way I think a thing is operating is wrong, then I throw that idea away and try to go at it again. Mm. Um, so yeah, so that's, it's nice to hear that. I think, you know, hopefully some of that comes across and, and is, makes it kind of objectively valuable because there's, there's the subjective part that's fun. And you, yeah, it, it is dangerous. And, and I think if you're just making videos about why you like something or why you don't like something, that's, you know, that can be useful and valuable and entertaining to people. But I also wanted to try to make things where even if you disagreed that the move on my take of the movie or you didn't like the movie, I could persuade you to acknowledge that this thing it does it does well because if i can do that then that means that i've learned how it does that thing also so yeah it's like wanting to learn all these things for myself and also try to share them with people regardless of how they feel about the movie ideally yeah it's a beautiful approach and i think it's very effective because i found it um well the irony i think we have very similar taste things we like so that always always helps <laughs> yeah <laughs> and so when you're doing like a breakdown of like silence of the lambs or american beauty these are films that are very close to and dear to my just development as a person and, and loving film so um mm-hmm. but like uh even like the ex machina stuff which is just outstanding film too and so yeah it, it helps a lot that we you're not you're doing like teletubbies or something <laughs> i mean you maybe you could i don't know like that that's a whole different craft that'd but, be an interesting challenge yeah yeah but it's cool like it's it's um you know i have a group of friends and we often t- we often try to watch a film and sit and kind of talk about it. And, um, oftentimes the experience of talking and dissecting and, and the theorizing after the fact is sometimes the, the best part of the film. And, and I think that I, I don't know if this is what's happening here with like, um, you know, what you're doing and a couple other, other guys out there that are doing this stuff is I think that it's kind of connected to that in a sense where it's, mm-hmm. Oh, I just watched this film like you know like let's say let's use enemy for example because i don't think it's you haven't done enemy have you yet? uh no i've not yeah so enemy has you have you seen it yes and spoiler alerts for people that might not because i don't know what i'm going to say but like <laughs> enemy is filled with you know just layers of subjective um analysis basically like oh what did that mean what did mm-hmm. that say why did that teen scene happen with that it's just filled and, and, I, and i heard that film was really kind of made in the edit which makes sense when you watch it mm-hmm. um but that's a film that 
like we'll leave um, a group of people that watch it together at the end of it, like discussing it and talking about it for a long time. And, uh, and that's kind of something that I really enjoy. And I kind of see, um, and when I watch your films, it's almost like, Oh, we watched the same film. You have a really interesting take. And that's really, I didn't, I never really thought of that, you know, um, or that's interesting perspective to have on that. Um, or just supporting ideas that I might've already known, just not articulate enough, you know, which is cool Mm -hmm. as well, because that's, refining your education, I guess, is being able to articulate the feelings that you, you know, get abstractly through an experience, I guess. So yeah, but, yeah, it's really cool. Yeah. That's, I mean, so a lot of my, a lot of what I would do in college for fun was basically that, like you're describing going, going, seeing a movie and then the most fun part being kind of debriefing with your friends mm-hmm. afterward. Um, and I luckily had a group of friends that, you know, some were filmmakers, some weren't, but just really loved film and loved art and loved to kind of pick it apart. And so that was, it's one of those things where you, you go to college and a lot of times the things you learn have nothing to do with, you know, what you are learning in class. Um, and just being in that environment and kind of routinely going and seeing films and then discussing with my friends why we think they work and why they don't, um, is like super fun and also is like a way of training your brain to kind of have that analytical mode and trying to kind of convince each other why, you know, your opinion is right. Let you practice, uh, you know, convincing people, but also when you run into an argument of why your subjective opinion is wrong, it helps you then stop and reflect and, and kind of, um, reevaluate things, which is an important part. It, it kind of, it's kind of funny that I think the timing of when the channel came out, uh, was fortuitous and for a lot of reasons, but one of them was with all the politics happening and the election and all those things. Mm. I was doing a lot of arguing with people on Facebook. Oh yeah. <laughs> um, and it, it helped me quickly realize like when I'm just, meeting an emotional response with another, with my own emotional response, mm-hmm. no progress is being made here at all. Yeah. Uh, and so it, it was kind of this weird training ground of like, okay, how can I feel this emotion that I'm feeling? Let that pass, step back and just look at the actual pieces that are on the board here and like somehow navigate and try to make my point as objective as possible after removing my emotion from it. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a useful life skill in general. Yes. Um, Emotional <laughs> intelligence. That's what that y- is. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's one of the things that I wish we taught more in school. Cause it's a pretty critical um, thing, but I, I think it helped. It, it helps having that practice helps explain complicated things in a simplistic way, or it gives you tools to kind of look at, this is how you're feeling about a thing. This is what the thing actually is. And here's a way to then convey as clearly as possible to other people, the thing that you find interesting and hopefully via that explanation, they'll find it interesting too. Mm. If that makes sense. Yeah, I know it does. I think, and I think uh, a lot of good points there and made in that. And the, the idea that two heavy emotions combining just li- literally yield a zero sum game kind of, you know, so doesn't nobody wins basically it's just constant noise but the interesting thing too that you mentioned about like we should have that more in our school systems or education i think a lot of people 
uh, and myself included. Uh, well, I'm just, I always try to be a student of everything at all times because I think that's what makes life fun. But I think a lot of people learn a lot from watching things like that you put together. So the interesting thing is if you feel it's developed you and made you stronger and, and more of a better well-rounded person, then you can kind of like start secretly putting it into your work, you know, and helping people <laughs> yeah. kind of see different perspectives and sharing that, um, those different kind, kinds of perspectives, because that's the really, when film, in my opinion, when film's really doing its job, it's, it's helping evolve people. And it's what it's doing is it's mm-hmm. helping people evolve um, because it's doing, it's using all the arts. It's, um, you know, it's moving picture and sound and, it's everything combined. It's the, it's the creme de la creme in my opinion of, of art itself, the expression of art. It's, it's this. And then there's um, what people would coin video games that I'd call it more or less experiences. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, it's um, yeah. I, I, I don't know. I don't know where I'm going with that. But <laughs> I had a question though. I thought would be kind of interesting for you is uh, do you find your, like this is a problem I have um, because I'm so analytical with films, but can you enjoy watching a film? Are you able to shut that out and just be a, a viewer? It's very hard. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. It, it, that was kind of one of the, uh, I guess not quite unexpected repercussions of starting the channel, but I mean, in general, I've always been a, a you know, since I became obsessed with film and filmmaking, I was the person that would, you know, ruin movies for people and be like, okay, yeah, but like, what about this shot? And then the background, you see how that was that? And like, <laughs> kind of point out, my mom always likes to tease me about how I ruined TV shows for her because now she understands what a scene is and what a cut is and she can recognize bad dialogue and all this stuff. Yeah. Um, Ignorance is bliss uh, with some of this stuff. I it, would have to agree. Yeah, it, it really is. Um, but I feel like there's also then this kind of, it, it sets the bar high, uh, but then it's that much more exciting when something new comes along that surpasses it. Uh, and so it is hard for me to enjoy movies in general. I tend not to watch that many movies anymore. Uh, especially it's hard to watch them at home. Like going to a theater helps me kind of get immersed in the movie and turn off a lot of that analytical brain yeah if everybody um, else turns off their phones and shuts <laughs> up yeah yeah that's there's these theaters in la called the arc light theaters which yeah. are the, the only ones i allow myself to go to because there's a yeah a higher probability of a good experience there yeah and i'd go during like the old people time of day right. to go <laughs> in the middle of the week in like two days two weeks after release usually because yeah, I have a real problem with people in the in the movie theater turning on their phones and like talking or whatever. It's just like, dude, come on it's, now. Yeah, it's crazy. I, yeah. For the the final Hunger Games movie, I think that was the last movie I saw like on an opening night mm. in like a you know quote unquote normal theater. Yeah. Because um, it was like, well, this one's closer, and like I don't know, let's just go see it. I'm sure it'll be fine. And there were <laughs> people with children literally running up and down the aisles like the entire first two rows were just teenagers texting on their phones with like the bright light like it, it felt like i was in a circus it was chaos yeah and so i was like okay well never no never again <laughs> yeah never again yeah exactly my wife cracks up because when we watch movies she knows and that's always like uh at the end of a movie She'll, she'll we'll be sitting there and then she'll just turn and look at me <laughs> and she knows by my face what I've like, if I like it or not, you know, it's, it's mm. 
I feel bad yeah. for her too because I've done the same thing for her. Um, <laughs> but she's good though because she she still manages to enjoy like these, you know, like, I don't know what you call them, like cheesy kind of shows. Um, mm-hmm. I think she can just be like, ah, it's just popcorn television and kind of blank it out. Whereas I, I don't know why, but I take it very personal when something's bad, especially <laughs> like this stuff. I, I, I think you probably get it too and filmmakers are listening to this. It's, you, you put so much time into this and people have missed time with their kids and they've, you know, lost sleep mm-hmm. and there's just, it's not easy making this stuff. So when it's done really poorly and when you know it could have been better, it's just like, Hey man, you know, or Hey people, like <laughs> let's fix this, you know, like mm-hmm. um, why, why is it so bad? You know, like, <laughs> yeah, but yeah, it's all opinion based too. And that's emotional lack of emotional intelligence by just saying blanket statements like that. But <laughs> I think they're pretty universally felt. So, yeah, it's definitely a hard thing to navigate. I, I think one of the interesting side effects of spending so much time analyzing like film, like with a capital F and like how film is made is that I've come to really appreciate these kind of more popcorny movies Mm. where it's like, it's kind of like the Marvel films. I was not a fan of before starting the channel. And then like they've become kind of the only movies that I know I want to go see because it's like a lower stakes thing. Like I know there's, like I don't need to turn on my analytical mind. Like there's, it's like a safe space where it's like, it's it's just a fun movie. I don't need to like analyze it. So just go and turn off your brain and like have fun. Yeah. That's um, probably why they're so good. Cause it's, it's an escape. Yeah. Yeah. And that's why they're so, they're so big and popular. And, and I think I've also come to appreciate that there's an art in that also. Like, I think mm-hmm. that, you know, I kind of often compare my present day self with, uh, like film school, Michael and <laughs> film school. Michael is very elitist uh, with the kind of film that he liked. Mikowski only. Yeah. <laughs> um, but now I can, you know, look at, you know, whatever random Marvel film and find things that are happening in there. That's like, Oh no, this is interesting storytelling. And maybe it's not aspiring to be the kind of thing that film school, Michael would celebrate, but there's really good storytelling happening here and you know it's it would be um kind of foolish to dismiss certain genres uh like you know entirely um because there's there's always something you can learn and if they're doing the thing that they're trying to do well then there's you know techniques and lessons to extract from that Mm -hmm. so i've kind of come to appreciate more like a wider range of film and tv over this time period also. Hmm, that's good of you. It seems like you've evolved. I'm still, <laughs> I'm still um, film school, Michael mode, I guess. <laughs> and I'm okay. I'm, I'm clinging to it. So I don't give a shit. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, that's fine. I mean, yeah. he'll film school. Michael will always be in there also. Like, he's, <laughs> he's a part of me for forever. So I, I, I get yeah, as you should. Um, I mean, it's just different. It's, I, I guess it's, I think one of the, the things that I found is that when you become elitist with things, it just, also shows like how um how infantile you are with your thoughts and how like <laughs> how um that you're not comfortable with being in that skin i think that's what mm-hmm. it really tells me at least so when mm-hmm. i'm ever like being elitist about something the, the new thing that i say is it's just not for me so when people ask me my opinions of things i i usually never even tell them because i don't think my opinion matters to anybody and it shouldn't because i want people to have their own 
Um, but it's usually, I'll just say like, well, it just wasn't for me. My, all my friends know this. So, and <laughs> they'll be like, what do you think of that? All my friends are trying to get me to like watch the Watchmen, all that stuff. And I was mm-hmm. like, I tried to watch a little bit. I just, if it doesn't hit me, it just, I leave it at that. And I go, okay, well, I'm going to, I usually, I, I tend up, I don't know if this is something you do, but I tend to just rewatch things that I enjoy and study the heck out of them, you know? So mm-hmm. Like No Country for Old Men, I could watch that film oh God. endlessly. Oh, good. Yeah. <laughs> it's so good. It's like a filmmaker's, you know, best friend, basically. That film is so good. So, yeah. But films like that, you know, so. Yeah. No, th- that's definitely a thing that I, I do in general. I'm My personality is such that it's like I don't, in general, I don't like to try new things. And so if I try something and I like it, then I just want to do that a thousand times and I'll just do that until I've squeezed everything out of it and then I'll try something else. But yeah, especially as a kid, I would rewatch the same movies over and over and over again. Mm -hmm. Um, What were those films? Do you remember? um, I mean, a lot of them are kind of, you know, the obvious, like, you know, Star Wars and Indiana Jones and all the, you know, the kids movies that you watch. Great films though. Great films and and to have those to grow up with for sure. Yeah. Um, ET, you know, I was never a fan of ET. Interesting. Scared me. Yeah. It's a, it's a unique film. Yeah. Yeah. I should, we, on the podcast that I, I have, we argue a lot about eighties movies and there's like some that I like a lot. And then in general, for some reason, eighties movies just bother me in this weird way that I can't quite describe nostalgia is a very interesting thing yeah it it really is i feel like that's a whole other like oh, in yeah. such a nostalgia world right now and oh, it's big time. it's yeah it's crazy it's, when you can see netflix using the algorithms to push the nostalgia aka uh stranger things and stuff like that so right yeah 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 um sore subject okay let's move on <laughs> so <laughs> no, but uh, is there a film that you've seen recently? I, I think I'm, I probably guess a film that you've seen recently that you enjoyed, um, something that's out in the theaters or has just recently left the theaters in the recent history. Um, what was, I think the last movie I saw in theaters actually was Knives Out, um, the Ryan Johnson film. Mm. Um, and I liked that a lot. It was really good. It, it's a, a Ryan Johnson's kind of, film, right? Yeah. 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 Um, yeah, it's like a murder mystery. Like and clue. It, clue the right, yeah. It kind of does the classic murder mystery thing, but then also has a unique spin on it, and I won't go into it. Um, sure. But it was it was really fun. It was the problem. I, this is kind of a, a variation on the can you turn off your analytical brain problem, mm. whereas like in mystery films, sometimes I'm trying to guess what the movies like what twists are coming and occasionally and this happened for me in knives out i uh, have decided what the twist is and then anytime the movie does something differently i'm like oh you're not gonna get me movie i know where this is going (laughs) Uh, but occasionally that leads me astray and i'm wrong and so i have spent half the movie like not inside the movie anymore because I'm trying to outsmart it. Uh, and so that's one of those weird occupational hazards that I should try to try to get over. There's a cost for all this stuff. Knowledge is oftentimes the, the people that are the most upset or sad are the smartest people. So it's like a common thing, you know? So mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. But um, yeah, I haven't seen that. I'm like with him, I'm, he seems like the nicest person in, in real life. I, I just had a mm-hmm. bit of a quorum with his star Wars films. I'd, 
had a bit of a problem with them personally just because i'm like wait what <laughs> but i'm not yeah yeah but it's hey you know it's 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 why it's there and and i you know i applaud i applaud them for taking a different approach and trying to break things i think that's interesting so um yeah i'm yeah. curious to see where these films land and they end up 10 years from now because oftentimes mm-hmm. common popular just tone it, it rejects things um that are new 2001 and Blade Runner, I don't think that this compares, but I think that there's an interesting thing that happens with the psyche um, mm-hmm. globally and just universally with us when we interpret and, and, and experience these kind of art forms, you know? So, um, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, no, for sure. And that's, I mean, so we, on our, our podcast, Beyond the Screenplay that we do, that's kind of like a like a sister to the channel um, where it's like me and the kind of the team that I work with now when making these videos, we sit down and kind of break down a movie and analyze not just the screenplay, but all the different aspects of it and try to just get at what storytelling things is it doing well and what things is it doing not as well. Um, And we just did a three part series on all the Star Wars films where we watched all that (laughs) like 10 or 11 and they are. Wow. That's punishing. Um, it's it was a roller coaster ride uh for sure um but you know kind of speaking about nostalgia there's this kind of fascinating thing happening with star wars that has never really happened before it seems like where it's it's a new thing that's trying to tap into an old thing but Hmm. there's also older things but it's for a new generation but also so much of this generation like it just it's trying to balance so many things yeah, and uh, kind of like you said, I'm curious 10 years from now, what will we think about them? Cause I, I feel like you can't divorce yourself from the context of the moment that these movies are coming out in and how it relates to the previous one and how it relates to fandom in general and how people react to things on the internet. And it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's very, it's very messy. It's an art form of itself, which is really interesting. I think the thing with what George had built is it's not like the Marvel universe where it's very expansive and time zone and all that time. <laughs> time is a big shifting thing. Whereas I think mm-hmm. in Star Wars, I think it's, it's, I, I mean, I, I, the only reason I know this is I'm a very big student of it and um, I'm also making my own Star Wars film. So like, it's like a short film, but it's, oh, nice. it's, it's, it's interesting to dissect it and I'm only taking the pieces that I like and I'm, I'm not acknowledging things I don't like. So because I have mm-hmm. the freedom to do so, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and that leaves me to, in my team to like invent all these new things and like create new like um, concepts and ideas, but it all comes from a bigger theme underneath it all too. So, which makes it a lot of fun. And I think being able to change and break things and not be hung up on certain nostalgia um, allows for us to kind of be free in the, in a sense, you know? So, mm-hmm. but I don't know, it's, it's very complicated because there's a, there is a lore and you have to respect it. Um, but at the same time, um, I don't know. It's, it's interesting. I've heard so many things and I've watched, I think I've seen them all. Um, but I really only acknowledge a couple of them that I really enjoy and are fine to be rewatchable. So, um, mm-hmm. obviously empire is one of the, my favorites. It's great. It's, yeah. Yeah. It's actually a really good film and it's like really well put together, especially for its time. Um, and mm-hmm. the brilliance of John Williams score is really, um, it's the thing that I think everybody acknowledges, but they just really don't know how big of an impact his score is <laughs> yeah. on that franchise in general. Like it's literally the savior of that franchise. So for sure. Yeah. yeah. And like his music is like unfairly good. <laughs> it's, it's insane. It's really insane. We were watching, uh, 
um, the other day we were setting up our Christmas tree and we were watching Home Alone and I was like, dude, John Williams is a genius. I just kept saying it. I was like, oh my God, like listen to that, dude. Like that's crazy. Like how he yeah. pushes all those, but it's original and unique. And it's, yeah, he's a, he's a national treasure. He's straight, yeah. dream, straight up genius. And George and Steven are, and all the rest of the directors that have worked with him are so fortunate because they, I think he really transforms um, so much of what, what makes those film going experiences so powerful. And I guess that's probably what it comes down to for me sometimes is, is a, is a, is a hang up with some of these films is, is that the score or there's the biggest piece is missing. Um, and that's really sometimes mm. can be really challenging, but then you go the direct opposite and you have a film like no country, which has no score. I think it has right. like maybe two notes in the whole thing. It's <laughs> brilliant. Yeah. And it's super highly effective, but it, it's very much of its own world too. So Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I guess that leads me to the next thing I wanted to talk to you about is all these things, these are lessons and these are the, the studying all this stuff and trying to find like scaffolding to understand the lightning in a bottle that is like making films, good films that is, mm-hmm. films that work. Through all of this, the study, the podcast, doing all your essays, all your education, you're above 30 years old now, you've devoted a big part of your life to this. Are there certain clusters of thought or things that you're finding that congregate and, and equate an equation that makes any kind of sense that like equates to this is why a film's good. This is why a story is good. Are there things that you kind of latch onto like a Joseph Campbell kind of thing? Or do you think it's just like, it's this nebulous thing that nobody knows, nobody's going to ever figure out and there's no rules break them all. And it's just, abstract free for all and opinions don't matter. <laughs> you know, that's, I'm, 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 I'm always on those two sides. Like they're like, yeah. cause I watch a film and one day it's like, Hey, they broke that rule. What? But it's perfect. It's like, okay, well then I guess that's fine then. So yeah. Where are you at? Yeah. I mean, that's, I feel like that's like the Holy grail, right. Is to be able to to have a good answer to that. And I think I'm <laughs> give it to me, please. <laughs> I, I wish I, I, I think I'm nobody knows it. Yeah. yeah I, I think I'm still kind of on that path trying to figure that out. I, I, I think that's why movies are so fascinating and engrossing is that there's, it's, there's so many pieces that have to come together. It's a miracle. Anytime something is good it is a miracle yeah but but at the same time i feel like there's there is something there there is some kind of consistent you know not quite equation but there there are people there are filmmakers that have a consistent body of work um who would you say that is there's a few of them there's a few david fincher is always the one i go to yes (laughs) Um, He's another national treasure. Although it's interesting, Gone Girl is the one that you did, and I never, I never really cared for that one. That's weird. I need to revisit. It. I think it was in bad headspace. Yeah, mm. your your video was great though, and it did make me go. I need to rewatch this. So, it's yeah, it, it's an interesting kind of like divisive film, and I think it's his most successful box office film. Interesting. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's I you know I love murder mysteries, and I really Same. didn't know what to expect going into it, and it was. I don't know. I, I found it to be really fascinating and engrossing, but I also get why if it, I feel like it's one of those movies where if all the right things click for you, then you're 
in it. And if not, you probably get left behind and it's not very fun. Yeah. I just didn't believe her. And I read the book too, Mm. because I Mm. knew I'm a big Fincher fan. So I was like, Oh fuck. Yeah. It's coming out. And I (laughs) I read the book like the couple weeks prior and I was like, Oh, I'm ready for this. And then I just, her character just never made sense to me. Like to go that far, it just didn't make sense. I was always like, geez, this woman is a total bitch, man. Like, (laughs) and I just couldn't, I had no, connection to her at all i just felt like what the heck it just i don't know yeah, yeah. i i'd been working on uh, a script kind of like about a, like sociopaths mm, for a while yeah, that's true yeah, she's yeah. Sociopath, yeah. yeah and so i think i kind of quickly categorized her as oh she's a sociopath she's not even really like a, a normal person she's yeah. this other thing and that it's like viewing her through that lens made her really fascinating to watch for me. That's true. Um, but that's that's, what she was. That's true. And yeah, I think if you don't have that like understanding of what that actually is, because they don't have empathy and they kind of, they get off on like twisting people up. So yeah. Right. And like, because you know, so much of our identity is kind of tied to empathy and caring for people. So a lot of them don't have a strong identity. So that's, you know, what can kind of appear as her being like fluid and being extreme. And like, that's, you know, based on some kind of sciencey ish, I guess stuff. Mm. Um, but I, I feel like, again, that's like, this is what is also so fascinating about film is that like what you bring into it has such a effect on it also. And, and the lens that you are, you know, watching this, you know, thing through and, and experiencing, can have such a crazy effect on your experience of it, obviously. So it's like you can make a perfect, amazing, great, like no country for old men, I think is an amazing, basically perfect film. Basically perfect. Yeah. And the book is really fucking good too. And the parts they cut out from the book are perfectly cut. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. But a lot of people watch it and they're like, Oh, it's kind of boring. Or like, I didn't, I didn't like the ending. Why did it end like that? (laughs) And it's like, well, and like that's, if that's how you feel, felt I can't kind of fault you for feeling the way you do and so it's totally. um but yeah I, I think in general the the quest to find that you know the closest thing to a formula or p- pattern or yeah all that stuff is why I really have come to value whenever I find a, a creator that is consistently above average or good I get really excited and I really want to study what they're doing because yeah. it's like some piece of that puzzle is buried somewhere in here. It is. Yeah. I've been studying Derek Kane, France. I think that's how you say his last name. Hmm. He did place beyond the pines and uh, blue Valentine. Seen okay. Those movies. Have you seen them? Uh, I haven't actually. Ah, okay. Let me know when you see them. Cause I think you'd really like them. Okay. Um, especially blue Valentine. I won't spoil it for you, I'd, but I would really strongly encourage you to watch that because it's a yeah, special film. But I've been studying him and he's really interesting because I, I found that I was stu- I've studying a lot of directors and like Stanley Kubrick or Christopher Nolan. And I'm like, these guys are just like weird aliens. Um, <laughs> they're not humans, really. They just don't feel very human. Mm-hmm. Um, the, I mean, and even uh, Danny Villeneuve, like he, he seems mm-hmm. very like, hey, who is this guy? He's dark inside, but he's always smiling and happy <laughs> making these really brilliant films that I'm really enjoying. But it's like, who is this guy? So. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I like listening to Paul Thomas Anderson or David Fincher. David Fincher's mm-hmm. he's a bit of a crazy smarty pants, but 
Um, <laughs> but uh, Derek is really interesting because he's just a normal guy, seemingly, but he makes these really like heart wrenching, beautiful films, in my opinion. Um, mm-hmm. Like Blue Valentine will just it'll smash your guts. Like it's a heavy film, like but it's really beautiful and quite brilliant, and it's uh, it's a really good film. I think you're really. I, I would imagine you'll be moved by it because um, I, I, it's one of the film that I can't rewatch because it's like, oh no, that's like, <laughs> it's really good. But um, yeah, that's the you know. But I also that's another point is like, does a rewatchable film make it good? Uh, you know, does, does is it that you know they have a good cinematographer? Is that it's like all the things, right? So, mm-hmm. um, and I think that because I'm constantly it's in a, it's as a filmmaker and a director and a person that loves film, it's it's the thing that basically I think about all day long. I'm always like, when I watch a film, I go, okay, well, that's working. Why is it making me feel this way? And then, then I go, well, I'm totally shifted. And then I watch my wife or somebody else enjoy it. I'm like, well, how are they seeing this? This is weird. And, and it's mm-hmm. like, no matter what, even if I like it, they'll go, well, I didn't like that. I'm like, what? Like that was the best <laughs> part. So I think so much of it is so subjective, but it makes it um, just like art. It makes it masterless and um, infinite which is mm-hmm. crazy. It's a crazy <laughs> concept to devote your life to. Um, but yeah, I guess that's the yeah. consensus that I've come to <laughs> at the end of all this madness. It's just like, there's no master and it's never ending. And that's just the beauty of it, I guess. Yeah. yeah. You mentioned <laughs> mysteries. Um, I enjoy those as well. Murder mysteries and stuff. Have you kept up, kept up with a uh, mind hunter? Uh, yes. What do you think of this so. show? Uh, I, personally love it it's it's one of those things where like i don't it's hard to be objective because i just love venture and like (laughs) i can just look at like a a medium close-up shot of anything in any of his movies and be like oh my god this is the best shot ever like how is this framed so perfect it's like the camera is exactly the right distance from the person and like so you know there's so many little details that can provide so much entertainment for me. Um, Overall, I feel like the, this second season I felt was a bit stronger. Like I think Mm -hmm. the, the writing and the narrative flow, especially the first season was kind of a little dry. Yeah. And it didn't feel consistent. Like occasionally there were episodes where it felt like there was a lot of momentum and then episodes in a row where I didn't know where we were going or why we were talking about this or that. Um, and this season, I think the second season it got better and it was more consistent and I yeah. felt like there was a, a stronger narrative thread throughout. Um, more yeah, concise, so I think, huh? Yeah. And just, I, I think it was dealing with, I, I think the, the way they kind of shifted focus of protagonist almost and mm-hmm. dealing with his partner more, I think that gave you something a bit more relatable to, to latch on to. This is kind of a tangent, but a quote I've been thinking about recently is uh, in John York's book on writing uh, Into the Woods, a five-act journey into story, which I reference a lot on the channel. Um, He talks about, you know, likable protagonist or empathetic protagonist and which is right and which is wrong. And I feel like that's one of those things that I feel like we should have a consensus on by now, but it, it, it feels like it's hard to pin down. Mm. Um, but one of the things he talks about is, you know, kind of in his view, um, people want a protagonist that they can imagine themselves 
as or like they want to be like that person or just have have some kind of like just human emotional connection to them. Sure. Um, and so that was a thing I was thinking about in the, the second season of Mindhunter where, you know, intellectually I, I like the idea of, um, I forget his character's name, the, the, <laughs> the Hamilton guy. Mm-hmm. Um, I I, I, yeah. Like I like him as, as an idea uh, of a character, but, focusing on his partner the second season i was much more emotionally invested and that really did help me enjoy much more of it so yeah i agree i think that the first season um i think that uh holden ford's character holden Holden, yes i think that there's something about his acting that threw me off but i feel i think bill tench's character which is a whole mick Cal, or something. I think he was in a couple of Fincher's other films. I think I mean, mm-hmm. mainly Fight Club, I believe. But mm-hmm. I think that he just, when he's on the camera, when he's when the lens is on him, he just takes it there uh, every mm-hmm. time for me. I don't know what it is. I think um, you just you feel the tension inside of him. Whereas I think Holden, I think was more of a, like an kind of an abstract character to kind of latch onto and I think that's probably what you're connecting to as well yeah. I don't know uh, yeah. I've had I've heard that same thing and it's not that his I don't think he's a bad actor or anything I just think that it's a it's a kind of a, he was in a nebulous position I think mm-hmm. he's a very smart guy I've listened to some interviews with him and stuff too but um yeah and I I guess it's not right to compare it because it's different but I'd say um, in the scheme of this, because I don't know, in America, I think we're quite obsessed with murder and stuff, but a true detective season one, I think, um, if we were to compare the season one between these shows, which I know is not right, but, um, <laughs> just in far as, as far as entertainment, I feel like true detective season one really for the most part and up until the end for me, but for the most part just was very intriguing and had characters <laughs> that were basically like, it was a couple Trent, uh, tench killer characters you know what i mean like we, <laughs> yeah. we had two tenches basically one was a little bit more abstract and gone but um have you have you watched that show at all oh yeah I, that's one of my favorite i think I w- i've watched it like five times mm, that first season, season. Yeah. uh yeah the first season it's a great one yeah because yeah. again i think for me it's almost like a, an example of like a nearly perfect thing where like you were saying those are there's the two characters that if you you know, introduce themselves to me in person, or if I read, you know, them on a piece of paper as a summary, I don't know that I would connect with them, but the way it's executed from the writing and the acting and the, like all the pieces come together to make you really invest in those characters. And, you know, so you have the the thread of the mystery and that's like doing some of the work, but it's also totally fine that most of the focus is on them and how they changed and all that stuff. So Mm. it's one of my favorites for sure yeah it's a great show it's um yeah really well executed and i think it's it's we're so lucky to be consumers of this era because we just have a plethora you know an endless amount of really um just awesome things to spend our time enjoying really if you think about it so mm-hmm. you're a big fincher fan is there a, a particular uh fincher film that does it more for you than others because he's got a pretty wide array obviously um, yeah, every time I try to Alien answer three. this, <laughs> parts right, answer for you. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> um, yeah, every time I try to answer, you know, what's my favorite Fincher film? It's it's so hard. Like I feel like there's different 
answers for different moods I'm in almost. Sure. Um, but I think, I think seven is his, you know, seven is another like perfect film in my head. Yeah. Um, so well shot. It's probably one of the most beautiful cinematic films in my opinion of all time and a top 10 for me. Yeah. And Darius Kanji and him are just the dream duo that film. I was just studying it cinematically the other day and I was just like really geeking out on just the celluloid nature of things and the anamorphic. I think it's anamorphic. I could be wrong. Was it anamorphic? I think so. Spherical. I think he went to spherical later because of his effects and stuff, but mm, um, that's right. yeah, it's just insanely beautiful. It's so cool. And I, and I was listening to, he probably did the same thing, but there's like seven layers of commentary for the seven. <laughs> there's so many. Yeah. They're so great too. And I, yeah. I, I think that's another thing that we probably both appreciate about a director like him is he's very transparent. And he does mm-hmm. a lot of commentary, um, uh, you know, um, uh, as opposed to, say, um, Spielberg, who has a wealth of knowledge. But I think that he keeps a lot of it to himself, which is cool. Uh, and I think he said he doesn't do commentary because he feels it ruins the art. And I think he's, he's very true. Um, mm-hmm. But I think it just changes the art, I guess, you know, mm-hmm. um, by listening to Fincher talk about his film or all the people that worked on it. I, I just get a different approach. And I love that he was talking about he had been following Darius's work and uh, all his like Paris perfume commercials. He thought like, it would be so cool to take this like perfume guy and throw them in this like gritty world and just kind of <laughs> see how it would work. And that chemistry was, uh, that's the beautiful thing about having a good director that has good taste is you get films like seven, you know, mm-hmm. which is really cool. Yeah. Yeah. Have you yeah, seen, I'm, oh, sorry, go ahead. Sorry. I was just going to echo that it, it's absurdly gorgeous. And it, it's a, a film that whenever I bring up like, oh, we should watch again, my friends or whoever are always like, it's so like disgusting and gross. But I'm like, yeah, but it's beautiful. Like <laughs> the disgusting things are so beautiful to look at. Yeah, it's true. It's, it is disgusting. It is hard at times. A friend of mine, uh, he hadn't ever seen it. And I was like, oh, dude, that's a crime because he's really into <laughs> film. Like, what's wrong with you? I'm like, you need to stop what you're doing. Watch this now. And mm-hmm. he was like, whoa, this film is heavy. And I'm like, yeah, but like, just watch it. Enjoy it. Because he's also a cinematographer. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, how, how could you not mm-hmm. have seen this? But I can see yeah. because it is a hard film to rewatch. But at the same time, it's quite brilliant. And um, it's cool hearing like how Brad would talk with Morgan and Morgan would just carry things and just like a, wouldn't give... Um, brad any slack which is great mm-hmm. and you could feel mm-hmm. that in their tension between the two and stuff which is really cool too so yeah but, but it is a heavy watch but it's so good have you yeah. uh, a recent film that i've seen in the theater that really shook me but I, I don't know if you've seen it yet but have you seen joker yet i have not mm, damn yeah i'm curious i think yeah, I'm, yeah. i imagine you'll probably do an essay on that one so that's a, a modern one it's a current day film that i think is came out of nowhere and it's like wait how how did i just watch this film yeah um, yeah i'm i'm really curious to see it. It, it i think it came out things were particularly busy and hectic in my life at the time yeah. and then there was so there was so much like reaction to it on kind of polar opposite sides mm-hmm. as i was scrolling through my film twitter which i need to spend less time on yeah don't do uh, that You're yeah, yeah it's yeah <laughs> it's kind of what i've that was around the time that I was like, this is not useful anymore. I'm not really going to focus on this anymore. I stopped um, using Twitter altogether pretty much. So mm-hmm. it's my life is much better. So yeah, <laughs> Twitter, it's like, it's nice to like connect with people that yes. are fans of the channel, but 
it's also it feels like it pollutes my brain if I'm using it for any other reason. Yes. Um, and, and the so crazy it, thing is your brain is taking in stuff and then all of a sudden like a troll gets in there and then it's in your in-stream and you're like, oh, oh and then it like affects you, you know? Right. And that's, yeah. that's kind of why I chose to wait to see the Joker because I wanted to give my brain time to like forget a bunch of stuff so I can actually go in and see it more mm. cleanly. So, oh, okay. Yeah, that's, that's what a shame. Yeah, yeah, I went in with no expectation it and it just mm-hmm. hit me and it was crazy. I've seen it three times now, though. It's really interesting. Oh, nice. Okay. Yeah. Curious to see. I think that you would probably, you'd probably get a, um, you'd probably uh, enjoy it. It's a lot of layers and it's interesting, but it's very accessible. So, and uh, yeah, just kind of seeing your taste, I think you're going to appreciate just for what it's worth, what it is. So, yeah. Yeah. Cool. One thing I'm curious about too, being so public and you know, it's you out there and you're, you got your name and you're, you're in your videos. Has there ever been any kind of trepidation to put your, putting yourself out there and dealing with the public? I'm sure you get a lot of love, but I'm sure there's gotta be just, you know, YouTube comments are just disgusting. <laughs> it's the filth, you know, it's like trolls and stuff. So how do you deal with that? Yeah. I mean, so it was, Definitely a decision that I spent a lot of time thinking about before launching the channels. Like, you know, do I want to be just one of the faceless voice people or is there something to having my face out there? And uh, ultimately I, I arrived at, I think it creates a a deeper, can create a deeper connection with the people um, that you're interacting with. And, you know, knowing that I wanted to be, a filmmaker and work in the industry at some point, there was also a certain calculation of like, okay, well having a, like a little bit of like, you know, notoriety could help in that way. And that's another way to have that. So it was a combination of, it felt like a nice way to connect with the audience. And also it might be useful later on when I'm trying to launch other projects and stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, and like, as far as the YouTube comments, I would say that the uh, the blacklist of words on the YouTube comment backend is your friend. Yeah, um, I I set that up pretty early. Oh, that's good. You implore a thing that basically blocks people if they use keywords and phrases and stuff. Right. I yeah. Do that exactly. too on my Instagram. It's nice. I don't care, yeah. man. I say it's a joke, <laughs> but I say I'm North Korea with my uh, with my social media. If you step out <laughs> of line, boom, you're out of here, dude. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like that's, it's kind of funny. My, so my mom is, you know, has followed every part of my career very that's, closely. That's awesome. Um, yeah, mom, it is great. Proud mama? <laughs> yes. Hell yes, yeah. and very supportive, which is great. That's awesome. Um, but so she's actually a mod uh, in the comments. So she's always reading all the comments oh, and she'll no. like flag ones. And she's, I feel like she's pretty good at like restraining herself. Or when she just disagrees with the people yeah. and really only flags the people that are being uh, obnoxious. But overall, what really surprised me with the channel is that the overwhelming majority of comments are very positive. Yeah. Which I was not expecting given what YouTube comments usually are. Mm. Um, I see. I get that makes sense. So you have a very clean and precise and calculated approach without like the big heavy opinions. You know, I think that's what's. I think that's it's your approach. I think it's very accessible. So it makes sense that you have that. that yeah. I think that's kind of what I ultimately identified. And, and the worst comments are on the videos that stray the closest 
two opinions mm -hmm. and being kind of more openly critical of certain things. Sure. Um, so it's interesting, but also those are the videos that have usually done the best and <laughs> the YouTube algorithm likes engagement, whether it's positive or negative. So yeah, it's like one of those things where it's, it's frustrating that so much, you know, emotion and conflict gets attention and attention is what, you know, all of this internet stuff is about right now. So it's, it's frustrating in some ways that that's the way it is, but I'd also much rather create the content that I want to create and have a connection with the kind of audience that I want to like, that I value the opinions of and all that stuff. So, yeah, it is, it, that is kind of like the, the byproduct of it, I guess. It's just like the shock factor, unfortunately. Right. Yeah. Um, but it also is interesting because that it looks to me like some of the more popular or, you know, numbers wise is going to be like your temple films, like the dark Knight and, your Star Wars stuff, um, breaking those kind of things down, which is, I guess it makes sense, but it's also really cool that you're bringing in, you know, classic films like the shining, um, which are, I guess, films that are somewhat, you know, maybe, um, forgotten about, not necessarily forgotten. I mean, I haven't forgotten it, but there are also films that I think maybe some of the younger audience or some uh, people haven't seen. Like my, I took my daughter to go see Dr. Sleep. Uh, I'm going to leave it at that. But I was telling her, I was explaining to her um, The Shining and the power of The Shining. And mm -hmm. um, I said, eventually, if she's ever up to it, I'd love to show her that film because it's such a unique film. Um, but I imagine people that were like, okay, that was interesting. Let me watch the next one. Hopefully they get some insight into like, oh, okay, that's cool. And can and experience these other films too. So mm -hmm. do you feel a responsibility with what the content that you're making to um, give everything a fair shake. You know what I mean? Like if you had an opinion on something, but you feel like if you had a, cause obviously you're, you have a, a stronger influence every time you put something out, it's influencing more people. Do you feel a, a sense of responsibility for that? Um, yeah. I mean, I think there's, you. yeah, yes, I guess that's the short answer. I, I think, um, you know, one of the things I, I tried to do is be open to doing movies that I wouldn't have maybe originally thought like, like one of the, my whiplash versus black swan video, mm -hmm. which is I think the second most popular video. Um, you know, I had originally seen whiplash and not really liked it and not been into it, mm -hmm. but so many people were um, requesting it that I was like, okay, I'll go back and look at it again and read the screenplay. And the second time around I like got it and it, I jived with it and, um, found something, you know, valuable in there. Um, so yeah, I feel like I try to like judge movies based on what they're attempting to do and not simply limit I, th I think it'd be easy to only do movies that I love 100% of the time but I think there's also value in looking at movies you don't like but trying to identify you know they set out to tell this kind of story in this way did they succeed yes or no and then analyze it from that perspective mm. um, like remove so, yourself from the equation yeah and I think that you know there if you I think you'll naturally gravitate to certain kinds of movies uh, if you're only watching the things that you like, obviously. And so that will let that you could overlook 
lessons to be found in other genres, other kinds of films, if you're, if you're not careful with that. Mm. So I try to do that. And then also, yeah, try to elevate movies that I think are worthwhile and have value. And, you know, occasionally like right after the, did the dark Knight video, I did nightcrawler cause I loved nightcrawler, so but it was good. kind of the smaller indie movie. Yeah. That a lot of people didn't see. So, so it was an opportunity to like go from this, the biggest video ever made to like, okay, but now everyone like check out this other thing and like, let's look at all the awesome stuff this does. Yeah. Yes. Joker is I had a similar feeling when I watched Nightcrawler. I was like, wait, what? What did I just watch here? This is crazy <laughs> that this got made and mm-hmm. it just has so much weight. And Jake brought everything in that screen. The screenplay for that film is just on another level. Yeah. It's one of the best of recent history, in my opinion. It's so good. Um, super good film. But yeah. How much, when you're studying this, how much of the genre do you think it matters? Like, you know, like, because this is something I constantly think about. Like, well, if Star Wars is just simply like a family saga, family drama, um, could it be told in fantasy? Could it be told in a murder mystery, you know, or like a different type of genre? How, mm-hmm. how much do you think about that? Like if, when you're watching a film, you're like, oh, this is sci-fi on the surface, but like, could this be told in a different like light, you know? Yeah. It's, I feel like I've always struggled with genre, honestly, because it's, I think it's kind of a, ineffable thing in a lot of ways like there are ways to categorize certain kinds of genres but i think so much of you know when i watch a movie and then you know if you ask me what genre it is i can answer but it's harder for me to identify why i know that's the answer um and i feel like it's admittedly just one of my weaker weaker points because i think genre does matter and and you go into genre with certain expectations and so much of telling a story and creating a compelling experience is how you navigate the expectations that the audience comes in with and then the ones that you create for them um so i feel like genre matters a lot and i wish i was better at uh like drawing hard lines for myself of you know, when I, when and how I know what genre is what Mm. and being able to kind of then imagine it in a different genre. Mm. Yeah. I guess some, some films do definitely have, and some are, they thread the line, which I find to be the films that I enjoy a lot, which is Mm -hmm. films that have a multi-layer. And I guess I equate it to music as well because some of my favorite bands or musicians, like I don't even think about the, the, whatever it might be that people would classify them as I just go, this is music, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, and good music is just good music and that's simply how it is, you know, and it doesn't matter what genre it is. It's if it connects with you and that's really all that matters, you know? And if it doesn't, it doesn't mean that it's bad. It just, it just maybe you'll appreciate in 10 years when you become a different person, you know? So that's Mm -hmm. (laughs) another paradox of thought that I always consider is like somebody's opinion of something of my work, of your work or anybody's work, um, it simply doesn't matter. But the funny thing is we live in a society where it's like, well, you, you know, your existence of, of your living is based on people's opinions of you, you know, it's just like, this is, mm-hmm. this, what a freaking, that sucks. <laughs> uh, but it's also just kind of how it works. It's the system in which, uh, this, the, the machine exists, you know? So, yeah. 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 Men- mentioning music just really quick. That's, 
kind of going back to the idea of can you turn off your analytical brain when watching films and things like that, I've realized that music, when I listen to music, I don't have an analytical brain on at all because I don't know music. That's great. And yeah, it, it when I become conscious of that, it kind of allows me to remember what it was like to watch a film without the analytical filter on. Sure. Because it's like, okay, this is what it means to just be listening to this song. And like, I don't know the, you know, I know basic like song structure, but I'm not thinking about that the whole time. I'm just enjoying the music. And so I occasionally try to bottle that up and then take that into the next film. And also it, it lets you, or it lets me remember that that's how most audience members are coming into whatever it is that you're creating is most people aren't watching things with that. (laughs) <laughs> the same filter on that you have. And so being able to occasionally dip back into just kind of the, the pure wonder that ideally people have when they're watching or experiencing something is an important thing to, to have a calibration for as a creator, I think. Yeah. That's a beautiful way to approach it too. And that'll probably just keep your mind fresh and keep everything kind of, yeah. in a level, because if you're not, when you're watching a film and you're constantly analyzing your you're both in the past and the future at the same time in the moment. And it's like, Oh, your brain's like, Oh God, you know, cause you're thinking, mm-hmm. Oh, that's interesting. Oh, I could put that into this film. And then you're like, <laughs> Oh, I was thinking about my past on that thing. And it's like, uh, well, I think with music, as you mentioned, sometimes you could just be right in the middle of it in the moment of it. That's probably what the draw yeah. is to live music, you know? So, because mm-hmm. you're literally watching it exist in the, in the essence of time, um, at its most precious moment, which is the existence of exactly when it's happening. So, um, and the yeah. rawness of it. And that can be quite beautiful and quite crazy at the same time as I got like a flashback of watching, um, Bjork singing, uh, like oh. Bjork live. And oh man, that was like, be awesome. It was, yeah, it made me cry. It was you know, her voice. I was like 20 feet away from her. So it was just like, Oh, oh my man. God. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she, and she's a phenom obviously. So she's just in a different realm, uh, mm-hmm. and the emotions that come out of her. It's like, so, uh, yeah, it's so very, it's very, very emotional, obviously, which is really great. Yeah. Doing all this stuff, I can imagine, I'm just assuming here, but I would imagine having these, have any of these studios or um, people that are building films or creating films, have they reached out to you for possibly script consultations or um, helping with stories or giving your feedback or anything like that? Has, has something come like of all this um, in that nature? Uh, yeah, there've been a few things. It's mostly been kind of a lot of smaller indie films that have reached out. And and a lot of times it's people wanting, I get it like a lot of emails from press people that are like, we're releasing a new, new movie. Want to make a video about this new movie? And I'm like, well, it's not quite how it works. <laughs> um, yeah, but, uh, yeah, there have been a few, I've, I've been lucky Michael enough Soul to make cost money. Okay. guys. <laughs> <laughs> um, I've been lucky enough to make some cool friends that work in the industry and have made some awesome movies that I've I've really enjoyed. Um, And through them, they've asked me to, you know, read and give feedback on some projects. And uh, that was really fun. And, and also hearing from them, like several screenwriters now that I've, you know, 
have reached out and like, let me buy you coffee or let's hang out and blah, blah, blah. And we go and we chat and they're like, you know, I was in this executive boardroom talking to the people at the top of the company and they were referencing your video on the dark night or referencing this thing. Or, mm-hmm. you know, my agent was giving me notes by sending me this video that you made and stuff. <laughs> um, it's, it's getting to the people that needs to possibly. Yeah. It's, it's, when I first heard of that, I was like, that's amazing. But also, oh my God, the pressure, um, <laughs> like, I hope I'm like right with all these things. Sure. Um, but it also made me feel good that I do spend so much time trying to, to vet things and make each video teach a, a useful lesson. Even if maybe the specific example isn't perfect, ideally, you know, the idea behind it is is one that is useful for storytellers. Mm. Um, so yeah, so there've been a few things like that. A few pretty big names have watched the videos and asked for my feedback on things that I like, can't really talk about. Sure. And there hasn't been that many, but a couple times it's been like, wow, this is crazy that this thing that I started in my apartment in Hollywood has had the reach that it has had. That's the beauty of the internet, you know, and yeah. sign that we're in the second renaissance really when information and ideas and things are at full exchange. It's, it's, it's often really weird when things aren't as smooth as they should be a la politics and things. (laughs) Wait, what the heck? We're we're regressing here guys. (laughs) But a lot of that's just due to trickery and a lot of just propaganda and stuff. So, um, but yeah, that's cool. I was hoping that was the case too, because, um, I think, I mean, I've, I think I believe I obviously tried to like, I was like, Hey, please help me. I'm making star Wars. Please, uh, read this thing and help me out. And, uh, but I imagine you probably have that happen a lot because, um, I, I mean, if I was working on something and for me, the way that I like to approach it is, uh, my idea is never the best. It's the best idea of the team and, um, always open to new ideas and, and perspectives mm-hmm. because, uh, even when I'm working with my actors, uh, I'll have them read and they'll give me questions. I, Shit, I didn't think of that. That's a really great question. And then when we do rewrites, it actually gets stronger because of the removal of the ego and kind of going mm-hmm. in. So I, I don't know. I'm, I just think it's a smart idea to consult you. And, and I think it probably, you know, gives, when you give your perspective, uh, hopefully kind of adds to the, to the equation at the, at the end of the day, the director and the writer and the team that's making it have to figure out and make their decisions to, to make the film and, they have to right. live with whatever it is that they've decided to make. But um, it's always helpful, I think, to have more information along the way um, to kind of put it in, put into the pot and see what sticks, you know? So um, is there, a, yeah. are you doing, are you living your dream? Are you doing your dream job or, 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 I mean, I know you mentioned wanting to make films and stuff. Is, is there a part of you that still wants to do that or where, where are you at with that? Uh, yeah, there's definitely, that's definitely still my, end goal or I guess not even end goal but a goal in life is to um, be able to spend you know a lot of my time creating narrative film in some fashion Um, what would you want you want to to direct or screenplay or does it matter I think directing is still where I have the most fun Mm -hmm. Um, you know kind of going back to as I was saying at the beginning of the episode it was the reason I kind of started this channel was to teach myself writing so that the scripts that I was making were kind of up to par with these other skills that I'd spent a lot more time practicing. Mm. Um, so yeah, so directing is I think the thing that I have the most fun with. 
I just love, you know, like making a movie is so many different things. And it's, I think that's what's so challenging about so many of the roles, but especially, you know, the director has to, you know, there's the planning of pre-production. There's the craziness of production, which is trying to create this thing that there's sort of an outline for there's the script, but also every day is different and things go wrong. And so you're trying to put this puzzle together, but the pieces are constantly changing and to do it, you're having to work with all these people and these personalities and you want to collaborate, but you also have to maintain some kind of cohesion and then you bring it to the editing room and then it's like, okay, how would you, how do we actually make this into a thing? And then you add in the sound and the score and suddenly it's a movie. Like just every step of that process is really, really fun to me. And I, I love that. Like, that's what I love about movies. Mm. Um, so I think that's definitely something that I am trying to make more space for. Like what, what was great about this channel is that it became my full-time job. Um, like pretty much immediately, and I am so incredibly lucky that 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 my job is making YouTube videos, analyzing you some of my favorite luck? movies. You think it's luck, really? I think, I think everything. Luck is one of those words where it's like, mm-hmm. you know, I think the thing that it's describing is just kind of the way the universe yeah. works, where it's like I did a lot of work and preparation but that doesn't always equate to success. And so I feel lucky that for whatever reason, the time and work that I put in, you know, caught there was traction there and it became this thing that I was hoping for. But, you know, I don't know that I could will it into being a second time kind of a thing. Mm. Um, yeah. So, so that's kind of where I am with the channel now is, and that's kind of why I've brought on this team and, kind of started to evolve the channel in some ways is to create more free time for me to start applying all these Mm. new skills and all this expertise that I've kind of slowly gained over these years, um, apply it to new things and go out and start having fun creating again, kind of, as I was saying that the pendulum of being too precious and having fun, I want to kind of push it back toward fun now and go and experiment and, learn more about uh, especially the writing process, the things that you can't learn simply by analyzing. Cause obviously writing something and analyzing something are two different skill sets. Oh yeah. And doing yeah. something too. Yeah. Yeah. And so some, some things, Oh, that makes sense on paper. And then you out in location, you're like, everything's going against you. <laughs> right. And you're like, shit, none of that stuff even is even like warranted here. <laughs> <laughs> Everything. Is, so you're just going, okay, core as like essence of existence, you know, like let's get to figure out how to solve this right now. You know? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. It's interesting how that works too. Cause I, I would, I would read a lot on film theory or I'd list, read a little bit of like Eisenstein stuff. And I'm like, yeah okay that's cool and it makes sense but then I'm as I discover my own voice as a storyteller and just a person in general I I realize that like no matter how many times I'll watch Indiana Jones or whatever film or No Country it's like that's their film and Mm -hmm. the film that I'm going to make eventually or whatever it might be is going to be my own filled with my own flaws and personality and it would be a crime I think to over to, to, to have studied it so much that I'm mi- literally just mimicking it 
you know, it's almost like vanilla ice, mm-hmm. like ice, ice baby or something, you know, it's like, it's like when he's articulating, no, it's not dun, 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 dun. no, it's dun, right. dun, it's like, he's okay. It's the same thing, you know? So, yeah. <laughs> and you see that a lot too, because of like influence, uh, like Fincher has on filmmakers and stuff too. So, which is right. fine. Um, but I think, I don't know where I'm going with this. I, I think more or less, I'm just talking about the essence of just existing and making the things for yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a, a hard thing to do i think but i think it's applauded though i think it really is and yeah i, I think we all feel that um when we see an, an artist's work that might be flawed but is feeling very pure to them mm-hmm. um, i think we feel the essence of their purity um, and that's kind of a really weird kind of underlying thing that i think we 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 can articulate but we feel um, mm-hmm. it's the fourth dimension of motion i guess or something like that you know so yeah um, yeah. And, and I think like you were saying that, you know, the idea of going out and kind of mimicking other people's work, I think when you're learning, I think that can be a great way to start learning. I think yeah. that's how I did a lot of things. You know, as, when I was in high school, I made a parody of Indiana Jones where I kind of tried to recreate these sequences in my high school gym and whatever. Um, and I, I think that's like a nice way to jump off and kind of you know, it kind of stands in for the kind of the mentor role. Like, like we don't really have that. Uh, there's a better word for this, but um, I don't know, this kind of institutional passing down of craft. Like that's you know, from everything I hear about the, you know, the old days in the industry, it was a, a bit more like that where you if you were a writer you could then you know assist with somebody else who was working on things and you would kind of learn from them um and i feel like that there's so much less transparency in so many aspects of filmmaking now and storytelling um that i've i something that i would do a lot is like i said go out and mimic try to recreate a scene and in trying to recreate a scene kind of intuitively run into certain problems that would make me go, Oh, that's kind of why they made that decision at that point or this decision there. Mm. And over time you kind of run into enough like problems that you're learning the lessons that then you can apply to your own original thing. Uh, and so you're not just mimicking it anymore. Mm. Um, but it's yeah. a beautiful part too, that part of the lesson too. And I think the key from that and the thing that I think uh, I, I agree with is the, the, the lesson of action, you know, and nothing's mm-hmm. perfect. And literally the best way to get better is to just go out there and do it. And I guess embrace failure, but like not really, you know, <laughs> but like just go through it, you know? So, which leads me to uh, another question. I know we'll wrap up here in a minute, but in your opinion, what makes a, a since it's we have similar um, destinations and goals? It seems because uh, the director idea. But what in your mind makes a, a great director? Like, what is something that you've found that all the directors that you enjoy their work from have similar qualities? Um, that's a good question. I think the directors that I admire have a consistency again kind of like i mentioned um but also just a a deep appreciation of every part of the filmmaking process like that's one of the things i always note like when people are talking about fincher um you know that he 
knows people joke he could do everybody's job on set better than they could kind of a thing um and i i think there's i don't know i i appreciate directors that know all the aspects of film like film film is a language and there's so many aspects so many tools to be used visually sonically with the performances with the crew like there's just so much that goes into it and i think um people that really embrace that and love all the aspects of that and can navigate just just the number of things that you have to juggle navigate that and preserve this kind of passionate love vision of the story and yet also remove enough of one's ego to make sure it's a generous experience. Like that's something I really appreciate in film is when it feels like this movie is here to tell me the audience a story. Like I'm not here just to watch the director show off how cool he thinks he is. Like Mm -hmm. the director is generously like put all this work into sharing this vision and, and giving me the audience and experience. So I, I mean, selfish and selfless act at the same time, huh? Yeah. Like somehow balancing that. And I think I, I resonate a lot with stories that are kind of about, you know, I think that's why the prestige is my favorite Christopher Nolan film. Same. Yeah. yeah Cause it's great. So wrestling with that, you know, the obsessed artist and you do it for selfish reasons. Such a great but, story. Yeah. But but it's also like trying to generously share because ultimately I think it's communicating. It's film is a complicated way of communicating yes. things to other people. And I think having an appreciation of that is really key. Yeah, that's yeah, I love it. That's yeah, I couldn't agree more. Um, you mentioned uh, we'll wrap this up. I know I'm sorry. I keep saying that. I know you probably have no, to no. go. But uh, um, you mentioned, I know you share a lot of books and things that you um, uh, frequent and read and pull reference from. I've bought many of them. Uh, Mm -hmm. John Truby's uh, uh, The Anatomy of a a Story is one of them, which is really, really good. It's densely filled with information, um, Mm -hmm. but it's so good. But are there other books that you found along your journey that have really helped you that you wouldn't mind sharing with myself and the rest of the people listening? Uh, yeah, I mean, so, so yeah, the anatomy of story by John Truby, I think is really great. Um, it's, is, uh, I think it helps you appreciate that. It helped me appreciate the book anyway. Um, having read story by Robert McKee, cause I feel like yeah. it's kind of a reaction against or a reaction to more traditional screenplay books. Yeah. Um, so yeah, like a uh, story by Robert McKee or a screenplay by Sid Field. I feel like having that can then let you appreciate John Truby and his kind of response to that approach or save the cat, right. By Blake Snyder. Um, the, I think that the one that I've kind of come to love the most is the one I mentioned earlier um, by John York into the woods, a five act journey into story because I think he, in that book, does the thing that I'm always kind of looking for and that so many storytelling books fail to address is the why. Like, why does hmm. yeah, doing I hate this? That. <laughs> yeah, or it's like, you know, Save the Cat is a useful tool, but I like to tease it because it's like, well, on page 
12, this needs to happen. Okay. But why? Like just knowing to put a thing on a page doesn't help you as a storyteller, I think. And into the woods by John York, he goes into psychology and kind of, you know, kind of what Joseph Campbell here with thousand faces, all that stuff is kind of getting at, but in a, a more sciencey clinical approach, which I appreciate anyway, that kind of more objective thing of this is when you do this, this is the psychological reaction people have. And so you kind of understand why certain uh, tropes or patterns emerge in stories over and over again and understanding why then lets you wield that tool from a more informed position. Um, And he's kind of at the same time, uh, reacting to the anatomy of story by John Truby in some ways. Mm-hmm. So usually what I tell people that ask like, what book should I read? I, I think it's kind of all of them. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. I think it's the same thing. <laughs> yeah. Like, cause they're all kind of getting at the same thing, but from different angles. angles. Yeah. And so I think you kind of have to read them all and find which ones resonate with you and you kind of combi- compile then the most useful, um, you know, catalog of, of techniques and ways of approaching storytelling. One of the pitfalls I have with these kind of books is I always go like, well, who's this person telling me this information? What have they made? And then when I find out, I'm like, well, you haven't done any of this stuff. So why are you talking about it? It's, it's a right. paradox. Uh, of, for me, it's like, I, I, in, in the back of my mind, I'm like, well, why am I reading this? I mean, that's got some knowledge. I'm sure it's good, but I'm like, well, I can't take this for real like gospel. And I don't know if it means that you need to be a professional in order to do that. And that's kind of, I guess it's like a, I call it like a professional or something, you know, it's like, <laughs> a, like kind of a, like bro science or something, you know? So, but the, these books, yeah. so this, um, the, the, um, anatomy of a story of story, uh, it's, yeah, it's really dense and it's got a lot of interesting things. And if anything, I guess it's like, it's just all information. So, some of it, I guess it's the same thing with like YouTube. There's so much information and misinformation on there. It's really hard to discern like, okay, well, what's, what's this? Is that real? Is that not real? What's going on here? And how does that work? And all those things. I think it's, uh, it's been a, it's tricky, you know, to especially be a student of it all and to be like, okay, well, what books do I, I mean, all of us just want the easy button, you know, but there's <laughs> mm-hmm. no such thing. Um, and the people that are at the top, they all know that they have to earn it and it's hard for them to even see like, okay, just imagine like Fincher trying to like perceive what it's like to be a film student anymore. It's like he, he isn't <laughs> right. and he can't because he's who he is, you know, and same with the Coen brothers and stuff. So and they're just existing in their purest sense. So but yeah, yeah. These, these books, I haven't, uh, I've read a little bit of Save the Cat. It was kind of a put off for me. I haven't tried <laughs> Into the Woods, so I'll have to give that a try. Um, Robert McKee, I read a little bit of that too. And and, and, and the Sid Field stuff, the same kind of with the Save the Cat. But uh, there's all information there. I think that's, it's got some really great bits in there. And um, the more you study it, the more when you watch a film, you're like, oh, here it goes, you know, inciting incident, here it comes, you know, like <laughs> mm-hmm. all these things you're able to latch on to. So you're, you're basically appointing words and knowledge to feelings that were abstract prior. So, which is pretty cool. Yeah, for sure. And, and, and I think it's like, kind of like you were saying earlier, it's, it's, a, it's the reason why going out and doing is so important also, because yes. You know, like you said, you read these books and then you look at, well, okay, but like, what have they done? And, you know, I'm kind of in that same place where like I have this YouTube channel about screenwriting and I've certainly never won an Oscar for screenwriting. Mm -hmm. Um, 
but but I think, like you said, it's it's information. It's a way of, you know, I think these books and my channel. It's a way of kind of taking a thing that you love as a movie and finding ways to break it apart and figure out how it works a little bit. But that's a different skill. It can help, but that's a different skill than going out and actually making it, which I think you can only do by making. It's like the I think a comparison that I'd heard once is like. You know, you can watch figure skating and you could, you know, write an essay on the exact proper physics required to do a triple axel. But that doesn't mean you can put on skates and then go and do a triple axel. Mm -hmm. Like it's a it's a different skill. Yeah. Um, Well, yeah. But also to be devil's advocate to that point is I watched Aaron Sorkin's uh, master master class and and Mm -hmm. I've gotten way more what I feel like is usable and good information from you and your channel from him than from him and just like, well, he's written a lot of crazy scripts, you know? And so I <laughs> yeah. just to that point is it's how the, the information is because a lot of those master classes, as much as I really would love for them to be great, they're just kind of just abstract. And that just goes to show that a lot of times the people that are actually doing these things, it's, it's too hard to put into a class. They can explain it, but they, I don't think they most of them even probably know what they're doing. Like, and not mm-hmm. to say that they don't, it's just that they are in their own essence. They're just being themselves. And the, fi- right. the thing is, I think the key is for, that I've been learning is just be authentically yourself um, and do your passion um, because no matter what it is, especially now more than ever. And you're seeing that and you're, you're a perfect example is like you put your passion into this thing and it became your life. But uh, it's also a detour from the things that you were trying <laughs> to do, but it's, 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 it's in tandem, but it's slightly detoured. So yeah. yeah. And a welcome detour for sure. Totally. Cause you're <laughs> actually still on course. It's just like, you're like going to visit a different town rather than the city that you were going for, you know? So, mm-hmm. but it, it is difficult and we, you know, you still have to pay the bills and all that kind of stuff too. So yeah. You mentioned your podcast. Do you listen to podcasts and are there podcasts that you enjoy that um, are around film and film development or directors or whatever cinematography? I mean, I listen to quite a few, but I'm just curious if you had a couple that you recommended. I don't listen to a ton of film related podcasts, actually. Um, I do listen to the the DGA has a podcast and I, I listen to that and hear, you know, the interviews with the directors there. Um but most of my podcasts that I listen to are kind of tangential from film. And it's, it kind of falls under this category of, you know, for the past three years, my entire day job has been thinking about film and analyzing film. So when I have recreation time, it tends to be kind of focused on something else that hopefully is still useful, but not as directly related. So mm. mostly I've been listening to like the Malcolm Gladwell podcast I like a lot. And then there's a podcast called hello internet by cgb gray and brady heron which are these two uh, youtube creators um and they talk about random things but also what it's like to be a youtube creator and especially in the early days of starting the channel that was a very invaluable resource because i didn't know any youtube creators personally sure um so that those are kind of the ones that i tend to listen to Awesome. Okay. That's great. Yeah. That's, it makes sense too. I often find myself listening to a lot of comedians <laughs> just being silly. And, and it's also nice because in a, in a world in a, in a society that's so uptight about everything, it's nice to listen to somebody that just speaks their mind and says stupid <laughs> stuff, you know, and can yeah. get away with it. They're the last frontier, I think of freedom, free, free thought almost, you know, publicly. Um, mm-hmm. Awesome. Well, the last thing I would love, to, um, and I try to do this with every guest because a lot of people that are listening to this podcast are other creatives or people in, in, in transition or 
um, people that are trying to better themselves or be more educated or whatever it might be. And I always try to give them something um, at the end. And that usually comes in the form of some sort of advice or things that you've learned. I know it's hard sometimes to put everybody on the spot about this, but <laughs> is there a lesson, something that you like you didn't see happening, but has happened and you wish that you could tell your past self so that you could maybe either avoid something or also um, just be better from something, you know, is there something that comes to mind, a really key lesson that's helped you find happiness? Yeah, I, so I kind of look back at this period right before I launched the channel and kind of the mode I was able to go into for the first time as I prepared for it. And I think there were kind of two things that happened that I kind of deeply realized that helped me a lot. Um, and the first was, uh, you know, you mentioned the 10,000 hour rule, like that, that idea that the people that are doing the thing that you want to do and are where you want to be the key difference between them and you or me at the time is just putting in the hours of work and practice, you know, that's, there are outliers that are, you know, their brains are broken in the best way and they're just naturally amazing at things. So like certain things you can't get to, but most of the time it's just a matter of putting in the work and doing the hard part that most people don't want to push through. And like the people that make it are the people that do that. And so if you can kind of like deeply accept that and then take that on as a challenge, that's, a really important step. That's maybe the most important step. Mm. And the thing that kind of goes along with that was, I think I arrived at, um, a enhanced ability to be self-reflective and be honest with myself about what are, if I'm trying to be productive and achieve a thing, what are the things that stop me from doing that? Like what is the pattern of my behavior that gets in the way? Identify that while being really honest about it and then find ways of changing that. And for me, it was very much like changing my kind of environment and both like the tools that I surround myself with and the people that I was around and, you know, sometimes if you're addicted to Overwatch, like I was the video game, it means uninstalling your favorite video game. And that's just like, like rather than lie to yourself that like, well, but I'll just be better about it generally. Like, look at your pattern of behavior. And in my case, like I was not going to be better about it. Like I wasn't naturally going to wake up one day and be magically disciplined. Um, mm -hmm. So I think it's, yeah, it was this combination of accepting that to get where I wanted to be. It required lots of work and the behaviors that I were, was exhibiting, some of them were not useful. So find the discipline to erase those and enhance the things that you're really good at. And that kind of combination helped me launch lessons from the screenplay. Beautiful. Amazing. <laughs> All right. There it is, everybody. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Thank you to Michael for coming on the show and sharing his time with us this week. You can find links to the show notes of this week's episode at thecollectivepodcast.com slash 221, along with links to our Facebook, Twitter, and iTunes podcast page. Go out there, be powerful, be prolific. Peace out, everybody.